It's enough for you to do it once for a few men to remember you. But if you do it year after year, then many people remember you and they tell it to their children and their children and grandchildren remember. And if it concerns books, they can read them. And if it's good enough, it will last as long as they are human beings. Ernest Hemingway. Welcome to Sideburns and Cigarettes, a Lupin the Third podcast, a podcast about a monkey-faced thief, his friends, and their many adventures. And uh, we are now four episodes into our coverage of part six, uh, Tea Time, or more fitting, for this ep- more fitting for this episode, I think we should call it uh, Coffee Time. Agreed. <laughs> that extra hour of sleep we were given doesn't really help. <laughs> nah, not really. Uh, at least not for me. Making my triumphant return, uh, I am Drew, having recovered from my uh, bout with uh, a little pony in my throat. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Natalie. Um, congrats, Drew, on getting that little pony out. <laughs> Thank you. It was, it was, it was quite difficult. Oh God. And I'm Chris. I have nothing to add about this. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit of a slow night. Um, let's just say daylight savings works differently for everybody. And also, uh, Jay's not joining us tonight. It's okay, though. You're going to have to contend with us adorable three. Ah, uh, heck yes. And we're totally not sitting here just stalling because we're terrified of talking about tonight's episode. In advance... Please don't hate us, um, <laughs> because we are going to be covering the, uh, what's, what's the way to put this? We are going to be covering the um, polarizing. Divisive? Yes, divisive, polarizing, oh, yeah. controversial, Mamru Oshi written episode of Lupin the Third, Part Six, The Killers in the Diner. Oh, boy. Uh, I'm I'm actually very afraid to talk tonight, but <laughs> here's the thing that I just want to say on behalf of myself, and um, I'm trying to have this, you know, I'm trying to have this morale about myself while I record tonight, and that is, I'm just saying this on behalf of myself. I'm 31. I'm nearly 31 years old. I don't like dealing with high school drama. Um, that's the second point. And the third point is why am I letting people's negative views or at least, you know, downer views of something destroy my enjoyment of something? (laughs) Oh God. I, I I don't see what the big deal is. Yeah. I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I, I went into this episode very, well, I'm going to say very tepid. I'm an easy mark for Mamru Oshi and his, I'm going to just say it, 
fairly pretentious, like late career Ghost in the Shell Innocence phase. I I, I enjoy how he sets a mood and atmosphere. Yes, it's a little hoity-toity with all the literature references, but you know what? It 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 I can vibe with it. So I was already kind of looking forward to it, but after seeing the reaction again, uh, uh, forewarning, not forewarning, but of course. Every single person is entitled to their own opinions. I completely get why this is not working for some folks. I don't understand some of the more vitriolic reactions, but again, to each their own. Um, I went in kind of tepid, but excited, and I finished it and looked over at at Becca, my girlfriend, and just said, uh, I... I think I kind of loved it. And then I watched it again tonight and I think it's my favorite episode of part six so far. I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Again, like, um, well, just real quick, Chris, but again, for me, it's like, I posted on Twitter. Y'all, y'all are entitled to your own opinions. Like, don't get it twisted. I'm not going to belittle anybody for, for not liking it, but like, the disdain really affected my enjoyment of it to the point where I watched it in chunks yesterday because of the negative vitriolic response. And I can't believe I let that get to me. And I hate it. Thanks. I hate it. <laughs> I'm just going to point out that when I watched the episode, I found myself enjoying it immensely. Although I would recommend if you haven't seen it yet, Read Hemingway's The Killers before you do so, because Mm -hmm. I believe that it will probably uh, enhance your enjoyment of the episode. I wish I had read it before I I saw it, but uh, I I enjoyed it anyway, and then I absolutely loved it after I read the story. Because it's the same story. No, I'm just... Because it's the same fucking story. Um, It's the same fucking story, but, but without the blatant homophobia... And without the use of the hard ER, like what else? What else is there? Uh, I, I, I had only I was intending on reading it before the episode. I I totally didn't just skim over the Cliff Notes page before the episode aired, but I remembered quite a bit of you, it from a. <laughs> you read a Cliff Notes page well, well, for I, a twelve-page story. But, well, I, but I, I got I got another preface. Um, uh, just just about. Uh, about three years ago now, I had a, lit- a literature and film class where we read the short story and watched the uh, the, the 1940s adaptation. So I still had it like with pretty Peter well in my Lockard? head. No, no, with um uh, with Burt Lancaster. Oh, Burt Lancaster. Okay. Yeah. Um. So like a lot of the dialogue had stuck with me. So like once once the uh, the two killers sat down and started spitting out the dialogue verbatim i was just like wait a minute i remember this oh my god this is just the killers so that that was that was a lot of fun and also to add on to uh oh go ahead go ahead i was just gonna say i remember you telling me that you went from thinking this is heavily inspired by the killers to this is the killers (laughs) exactly because like like ooh, two killers going in a bar this is and and that, that turns out to be a plot point Exactly. It turns like, out to be like, the funniest thing about the whole episode, in my opinion. Right. You know, right. It's like you know, the episode itself isn't an adaptation of the story so much as it is about Lupin, Jigen, and Fujiko staging an adaptation of the story. <laughs> yep. And it's great because they're staging and it an adaptation. Much just fun. Exactly. 
<laughs> and both both Lupin and Jigen are not initially aware that it's Fujiko they're enacting it with. And when they find out, they're just kind of like, so it's almost like they were just both doing it for the fun of it. It's, I don't know, <laughs> it's something they would absolutely do in their free time just for shits and giggles. Yeah. Yeah, just to reenact scenes from books or movies they enjoy. Like, I kind of, now I'm getting this headcanon of, like, every month they try to, they pick a piece of literature just to reenact. And, you know, they try to incorporate it in their heists if they can. <laughs> so maybe, I don't know, one one month, Jigen's just a big Mario Puzo fan. So he just, so, he just wants to reenact <laughs> scenes from Mario Puzo as a godfather. <laughs> <laughs> you know puts on the puts on the Mar- puts on the fucking marlon brando accent and is like i'll make him an offer he can't refuse <laughs> somebody's gonna get richard epcar to say that oh my god oh god yes. if i ever meet him if i ever meet him if i ever meet him <laughs> or i was thinking maybe uh you know maybe lupin can go on a maurice leblanc kick and wait <laughs> wait a minute <laughs> Um, well, but, can I just? Um, but you were going to say something, Drew. Sorry. Oh, it was just very quickly to uh, to add on to what Chris mentioned before. If anyone like is kind of on the fence or has already watched it and is a little unclear about things, read Ernest Hemingway's The Killers. But also, and I'm going to include a link to this thread in the show notes. Uh, Zoid the Nine Thousand, who has been translating the series for Sentai Film Sentai Filmworks. Uh, did a very, very informative thread, kind of like pointing yeah. out all of the specific references and some of the gags in it. And it was, I had already enjoyed it, but their thread gave me an even more immense appreciation for it. And that's kind of what booted it up to being my favorite episode once I found out. Well, I mean, once oh. it really clicked what they were doing, it up, up to the detail of Lupin specifically name dropping book titles and trying to bait Fujiko into naming the book titles as well. And then Jigen initially getting fed up with it. It's, 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 it's a very helpful. It really adds a whole new layer to it. It does. Yeah. And again, um, thank you to Zoy the 9,000. We, uh, we know he listens to us like <laughs> hashtag team follow back. Shout out. <laughs> um, no, I, I enjoyed his thread too. And he did respond to my Twitter post today. And I do thank him for that. But going back to what you were saying, Drew, um, again, I encouraged people and even gave a content warning on the last episode about this particular <laughs> short story. I get it. Um, Ernest Hemingway is not everybody's cup of tea. Now let me get, I could do a minisode about this, but you know what? Let me just get to some basic facts here. Uh, Ernest Hemingway. And I actually had this really deep conversation about him as an author with my ex because he was in town this weekend. Ernest Hemingway. His politics were shit. Let's be real. Especially if you're a very liberal person, you're not going to agree with his politics. However, this man... The reason why we consider him, I say we as in like on an academic level, why scholars do consider him as one of the best American um, writers of the of the um, 20th century is because of his prose. He did. He kind of wrote in prose in something called was called the iceberg theory, where you try not to focus too much on backstory for characters. You kind of just go ahead first into dialogue before you go into development. And um, I get it. 
that kind of prose is not everybody's cup of tea. Some mm-hmm. people enjoy backstory or character development. I happen to enjoy it too. But one of the reasons why I enjoyed Hemingway, particularly as a teen, as a very emo teenager, um, while we were reading him in high school, was um, his book that he wrote after fighting in the First World War. He wrote um, For Whom the Bell Tolls, which is basically his view of the war after suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. So this man used his trauma to write his most amazing literature, in in all honesty. Um, And it wouldn't surprise me that a young monkey punch would have read his books because Mm -hmm. this isn't the first time Ernest Hemingway is referenced at all in the Lupin franchise. You have the... You have the um, 1991 special, I believe, the Hemingway Papers. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is based. Yeah, it's not one of my favorites. I had it on bootleg for so long, but it is a good one because you have this awesome fight scene between Goemon and, and Jigen that just kind of ends in a stalemate. Um, and also because <laughs> the treasure. Yeah, they, they go after a treasure that supposedly Ernest Hemingway on his travels. Because this man, this man was, a, he was like Pitbull. He was Mr. Ninth. He was Mr. Worldwide. Like, <laughs> Ernest, Heming, Ernest Hemingway was wow, Mr. Was Worldwide before. I was expecting <laughs> <laughs> I just compared Ernest Hemingway to Pitbull. Oh, God. But basically, yeah. Ernest <laughs> <laughs> Jokes aside, yeah, Ernest, Hemingway, <laughs> Ernest Hemingway. Oh Lord, that somebody's gonna make fan art of that, and I'm never gonna unsee it. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> okay, look, Ernest Hemingway was Mr. Worldwide before Pitbull. There, I said it. Hell but anyways, yeah. this man was a man of the world, and he traveled. Boy, did he travel! He was also a war correspondent during the Spanish Civil War. Like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, this is how much I enjoy his writing and his contributions to both literature and history. And as a Lupin fan, I enjoy the mark that he's left on the writers of the series and Monkey Punch himself. So I get it. If classic American literature is not your cup of tea, you're not going to enjoy this episode. But for God's sake, people, like, if your school didn't force you to read Ernest Hemingway, just pick up an Ernest Hemingway novel. And if you don't like it, fine by me. But if you get at least something out of it, then my work here is done. Even if you even if as a Lupin fan, you don't see the connection. Just pick up a book. Just pick it up. That's all I can say before I start getting crazy. (laughs) Well, see, something, something I've noticed about part six in particular is that it's really leaning into classic crime literature mm-hmm. because oh, you know we had the whole thing, we had the whole thing with Sherlock Holmes you know we have uh, this one with the killers also the references you pointed out last week mm-hmm. Natalie and then oh, we're doing which a, ones? Uh, uh, oh Ellery Queen Ellery Queen yes go yeah, ahead that, that's it thank you and then uh you know next week we're apparently going to be revisiting a uh, Ron Poe Edogawa novel which I feel like a uh, a warning to everybody who is like me and is considering buying a copy of Gold Mask to prepare for next week's episode. For the love of God, do not read the item description on Amazon. Uh-oh. Or even the back of the book if you get it, because it spoils the identity of Gold Mask. Ooh. 
which is apparently something that's not revealed until about two thirds through the book. Oh, that's fun. And yeah, I was I was that... I was trying I was trying to look up a copy of it last night, and I happened to glance at it. it's like you know, featuring an appearance. But oh god, that would have been so cool to see. <laughs> Damn it. So yeah, just you know, if you can if you can order from Amazon with your eyes closed, do it. Actually, no, don't do that. That's terrible advice. <laughs> yeah, because that's when you end up with something very mysterious on your porch. Do I need do I need two French horns or three? Anyway, so uh, again, I I like the killers. I enjoyed this episode, and uh, you know, I thought the big uh, reveal of you know what Lupin, Jigen, and Fujiko were actually doing at the end, I thought was hilarious. Especially with that context. Yep. And like, as we've already stated, it's a fairly faithful adaptation of the killers. Oh, yes. Up until almost the midpoint where it suddenly becomes an adaptation of Ballroom Blitz by Sweet. <laughs> oh, God, yes. <laughs> you, know, you know, the man in the back said everybody said everyone attack and it turned into a Ballroom Blitz. The girl in the corner with everyone's mourner, she can kill you with a wink of her eye. Yeah. <laughs> which, 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 to be fair, Fujiko's disguise was pretty cute. But I agree. But yeah, I mean, you know, I'm I'm a big classic rock buff. So that's what I was thinking of when, yeah. you know, when that gunfight erupted. <laughs> Touching upon Fujiko's adorable disguise, um, can we at least enjoy that it's now canon that Luchi, that Luchiko, that Fujiko <laughs> cannot cook for shit? Oh my God. The, she, the, can't the, dance. she can't dance and she can't cook. <laughs> she ain't getting a husband with those traits. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I, I like the, the Fujiko reveal kind of like, I don't know if I'm dumb or not, but the Fujiko reveal kind of genuinely surprised me. But what what tipped it off was when I'm, uh, when Lupin in disguise starts criticizing the food and there's that close up of her and her eyebrows are twitching. <laughs> <laughs> I, admit, I was a little let down that the waitress turned out to be Fujiko in disguise because I was kind of digging her character. Yes. It, but, <laughs> I don't know. I, I very much re- relate to her at my job. <laughs> <laughs> I can just I can just imagine that this isn't because this is now established as canon. I can just imagine like on the calendar at their hideout, they have a specific day when Fujiko is set to cook and the boys are, are already like packing Metamucil and Tums. <laughs> Just like, we'll eat it because we love her, but we won't let her know how sick we'll be tomorrow. Well, you know, now think about it. There was that one bit in Mystery of Mamo where Fujiko cooks for Lupin and, you know, he spits it out because, you know, it was too hot. What are you trying to do? Freaking scald me to death, too? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I remember <laughs> that. Yeah. So, you know, this really isn't a new revelation. Nah. <laughs> And uh, speaking of that that giant shootout that happens in the midpoint of the episode, I know the the big hullabaloo on on social media and just in the fandom in general is about Mamoru Oshii, and for good reason he wrote it. But um, uh, I, I do want to give props to the uh, director uh, Katsuhiro Soweta for kind of like I don't know, excellently ramping up the tension visually, and then that shootout. That is some spectacular animation. It's like, what, maybe a minute, a minute and a half? But it's just pure chaos, and it's brutal, and it's just... I don't know, it felt just... I don't want to say real, but it's just so quick and brutal. 
a room full of CIA assassins, it feels like that's exactly how it would go down, pretty much. Oh, you mean the big conspiracy thread? Oh, the, the big conspiracy thread, but just having a room of deadly assassins just all go at each other at once in that one specific moment, it was... I dug it. It was... It, it, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it's pretty pretty brutal. So, uh, I think, like, the... Uh, it was nice. Nice in a brutal way. I think, the best, I think the best way to describe it is probably is that it was like lightning. Everybody was frightening. And the music, and the music was soothing, and they all started grooving. Exactly. Oh Lord, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I I did. I will admit, I I like the aesthetic of the different assassins. You had the one who was like the knife fighter. You have the guy with the sombrero who had a gun <laughs> out of um. You know who had a, uh, um who had a gun a, a gun piece coming out from his guitar. A la, oh my God, what's that one Antonio Banderas movie? Desperado. Um, is it Desperado? Yeah, Desperado. I, I was like, it's not Desperado, is it? Yep, it's Desperado. And, you know, it, it, it legit, The one of the conversations between the assassins, they were having like a Revy Shenhua um, conversation a la Black Lagoon, like guns are better and close combat blades are better. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, that was one aspect I was thoroughly enjoying mm-hmm. when my buzz wasn't killed. <laughs> So there's one assassin that I feel like we should probably address. Oh, yes. The sombrero guy? It's a reference to another classic manga. Mm-hmm. Some, uh, Which one? I'm confused. So the, uh, the the rather large assassin with the the uh, the very big pointed eyebrows and the square jaw who um, uh, is all... It's, it, it's Gogo 13. Literally, the only difference is his name is... All right, all right, all right. The only difference is he's blonde and his name is Juzo Togo instead of Duke Togo. But it's literally just Gogo 13, which was a pretty hilarious touch. It was pretty cool, actually. I mean, I, I, it took me a hot minute, I will admit. But again, like what I, what I am enjoying so far of this series is the literature references. And of course, the other big within the genre pop culture references. Um, again, for someone like me who in high school just read a lot of novels, which whether like I enjoyed everything from like classic American literature to detective novels to gangster novels to yes, even I started reading Outlander in high school. So anytime, anytime Lupin the Third has those references, highly doubt they have Outlander references, (laughs) but so far with the detective novels and with the Golgol 13, I'm just like, oh God, love it. I'm here for it. I'm happy. Oh, yeah. 16-year-old me would have totally appreciated the series, FYI. Like, <laughs> just coming home after reading um, Edogawa Rampo and just watching this and being like, oh, my God. You know, I feel like uh, I feel like what's kind of neat, though, about Part 6, you know, in general so far is how it's going back to Monkey Punch's original inspiration for this franchise as a whole. Oh, and that it's just... It's just a, because if you read that very first chapter of the Lupin III manga, it's pretty much an, a modernized Arsene Lupin story featuring crossovers from uh, other uh, mystery novel characters, such as Heiji Zenigata and uh, Kogoro Akechi. Well, yeah, Kogoro you know, Akechi came from Edogawa Rampo. Right. And then, you know, Heiji Zenigata was the uh, main character of a popular series of. I think it was a TV series, but I want to say there was literature as well. And of course, you know, Arsene Lupin, we know who he is. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, so you know, it's really just monkey punch, just you know, crossing over various you know mystery uh, genre protagonists. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, that's one thing I'm liking about part six so far is that it's doing the same thing. You know, oh, again, totally. you've got uh, Sherlock Holmes. Um, well, okay, I, I wouldn't say the killers was a mystery, but you know, it was. You know, it, it's crime mm-hmm. fiction, so it counts. Mm-hmm. I, for one, am really appreciating that. Oh, and like it, it especially it, especially being as much a fan of the manga as I am. Mm-hmm. And it and it's kind of perfect for um, um look, it's the 50th anniversary of part one, but you know, for an anniversary series, it's kind of great to see it honoring its liter- honoring Lupin's literary roots for this kind of. I don't know. It just kind of feels like. Feels like a, a really nice celebration of what inspired Lupin in the first place. Yeah, exactly. Well, again, um, one thing that I enjoyed when I was looking into the history of Lupin the Third, particularly the history of its creation by um, Katsukatsuko, aka Munch- Monkey Punch. You know, Monkey Punch was just this kid living in Hamanaka, Hokkaido, who grew up not just on. Murray Leblanc's um, Arsene Lupin tales, but he's also a big fan of Alexandre Dumas. Like he was heavily influenced by French literature, and you know, Alex. Oh, yeah. If I if mean, you guys don't I mean, know, because again, I feel like some people and sorry to go cray cray, but I feel like some people don't read books nowadays. Oh my god, my roots of of when I was teaching. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> but Alexandre Dumas was the writer of the Three Musketeers. The Three Musketeers. And who is one of the most prominent characters in the Three Musketeers that inspired the femme fatale trope that we know and love? <laughs> Lady Dart- um, um, Lady De Winter. I was going to call her Lady D'Artagnan. No, yep. Milady De Winter. <laughs> Milady De Winter. <laughs> Every, I, I, that ship has sailed, kids. But Milady De Winter was, for all intents and purposes, the inspiration for the modern femme fatale trope, which... Let's be real. Who is who is but a femme fatale in Monkey Punch's work? Fujiko Mine. And here's, and here's the thing: Monkey Punch has actually admitted uh, to Milady being uh, one a of direct the direct uh, influence to Fujiko. Fujiko. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think it was the, on the uh, I think it was on the DVD or Funimation DVD for Dead or Alive, the interview, mm-hmm. which I, I still think is great. And uh, yeah, um, also he did. Yeah, he did admit that. Yeah. Yeah, and, and also you mentioned Dumas, which. You know, I know Monkey Punch is a huge Three Musketeers fan because he actually uh, wrote and drew a manga adaptation of the Three Musketeers. Except, you know, because the Maestro is also really big on the whole East versus West theme. Mm-hmm. And uh, for his take on the Three Musketeers, they end up running into a very lost Miyamoto Musashi. Really? Oh. Yeah. So it's pre- it's pretty much just the three Musketeers, but now they have, you know, Miyamoto Musashi with them. Nice. Yeah, it's, that sounds cool. They uh, it was adapted into a, a segment of a mankatsu. It was it was really cool. Oh god, that's awesome. Yeah. Again, like um, it would it doesn't surprise me at all that Monkey Punch, you know, it was influenced by just a lot of literature. Again, you know, right. Lupin the Third was inspired by. Lupin the first he even said so himself he was like well you know I'm pretty sure he was sitting down when he was creating this was thinking what if Arsene Lupin had a grandchild and it was just like the magical love baby of himself and the modern 60s spy genre 
which was popular at the time, James Bond. Well, and uh, I think I think he's actually said in that same interview we mentioned earlier that you know his editor asked him what he was going to be doing next, and he hadn't really thought much about it. But he felt like he had to give the guy an answer right then and right there. So he thought he thought back to a, uh, you know, uh, Maurice LeBlanc. He's like, uh, I want to draw Lupin. It was just gonna be like a, it was just gonna be like a three month project. Yeah, but it, it ended up lasting fifty four years. Mm-hmm. So oh yeah, totally. that's something. And counting. And it, and again, you know, I hope this does encourage other young authors, particularly myself, even though I'm not young, that it's okay to go on with derivative works. You know, before before the whole concept of fan fiction, there was you know, and before copyright laws, cough cough Disney. Um, mm. There was people that created original works deriving from other original works. I mean, just just think of where we would be if it wasn't for something like, say, um, oh, my goodness. Now I'm getting into a black hole here. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, imagine imagine a world where um, Monkey Punch didn't create, you know, did, it wasn't you know, emboldened to create something based off of a, a piece of literature he read as a child. We wouldn't be here. I, I'd, I'd be pretty sad without it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. We wouldn't be here. <laughs> yeah. None of us would know each other. That's for sure. Uh, yeah. We're, go- we're, we're going back to that back to Jesus moment. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, it, the response to this episode does not really su- some of the some of the more vitriolic stuff does surprise me, but the general response does not surprise me that much because not only are we dealing with Ernest Hemingway, who is not everyone's cup of tea, it's also an episode written by Mamoru Oshii, who is also not everyone's cup of tea. And and full full disclosure, I'm for the most part, there's a number of his works I haven't seen, but I'm a really really big fan of Oshii and just the way. He, his, he, he, especially in his directing with the Pat Labor films and Ghost in the Shell, I just, I just love the atmosphere he sets, his progressively, I mean, you can say pretentious and I can't, it's a valid argument, I can't really disagree, his, his very referential dialogue that is, um, I'm thinking specifically about Ghost in the Shell Innocence, which is pretty much just all of the Ghost in the Shell characters quoting scripture and philosophers back and forth at each other, and that's pretty much just the dialogue, although it's still like a, a gorgeous film. Um, I, I don't know. I I, I just... Uh, Beautiful just, Dreamer got pretty deep, too. Yes. And speaking of that, um, uh, th- 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 there seems to be these these eras of Oshi's career, like when he got started, um, this obviously, obviously wasn't his start, but one of his most notable things was the, uh, Urasa Yatsura TV series, which he wrote and directed many episodes of that. Then he wrote, uh, where he directed the first film, but then the second film kind of shifted. Well, I'm actually just kind of rambling here, but, uh, <laughs> a lot of stuff shifted in that movie, man. Uh, well, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> But um, but Boy, before, I like it though. I still need to watch it. I'm waiting to get the uh, the first movie in the mail before I before I catch that one. But um, before he did that, 
he had his canceled Lupin project and like the canceled Lupin project, beautiful dreamer and the, both the Pat labor OVA and the first film kind of signaled this shift from his kind of straight up comedic work to this very, I don't know, existential, more philosophical kind of deeper era of his career, which really kind of solidified with Pat labor two and ghost in the shell. And it kind of continued to get more and more very self-serious and referential and literary. But, um, from what I understand, so, uh, he so, eventually, so would, you say, so would you say beautiful dreamer was like in the, uh, it's like in that transitional period. Yes, I would say so with that, with, with, with that kind of yeah, I can see that. changing over. And now he seems to be in, Another transitional period, and oddly enough, it was with them. Uh, the live action Pat Labor, uh, the live action Pat Labor web series, which was apparently a just kind of straight up parody of Pat Labor itself. And then the most recent Vlad Love series, which I haven't watched yet, which is also referential to literature and other things, but very humorous about it, which is exactly what this episode is. Where it's 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 obviously Lupin and Jigen going into a diner and just recreating the killers, but literally doing it just for the fun of it. And then Lupin trying to just name as many short story titles as he can, just cramming it into the conversation. Because like I even without having the context of the uh, of what exactly was going on. There was just already something inherently funny about having a TV special length exposition dump in the last two minutes of the episode. That's something that kind of bothered me at first. And where did Emily go? Uh-oh. Hey, this is Drew just quickly popping in to address some technical difficulties we had during the recording. Unfortunately, um... Natalie's Wi-Fi had completely cut out. She had an outage in her area while we were in the middle of recording our episode. Fortunately, she was pretty quickly able to connect to a hotspot for the remainder of the episode. So I'm just going to drop us in where we had all fully caught up and continued with our conversation. It was already funny because it's just a TV-style exposition dump at the end. But then when you find out that it's Lupin um, doing it just to squeeze in the last few titles from the short story compilation, <laughs> it makes it even better. Oh, Lupin. Again, yeah. their self-fulfillment of um, <laughs> re, re, um, performing literature just for the sake of doing it. <laughs> they just want to live out some fantasy they're not living Exactly, and it's 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 like Fujiko says. And what point is there in recreating something unfaithfully? <laughs> Let's see. Does that does that pretty much wrap up our general discussion of it, or, or is there any, is there any other points you got y'all want to touch on? I think I've said and I think well, I've spilled enough of my love of Hemingway and how I really do think that it is kind of a thing where unless you've read Hemingway, you won't enjoy this. Again, I get that the episode is slow paced. It's not very actiony. It's not very zany. It's not very cartoony. It's not the Lupin that we that some people do enjoy. 
but it's gritty it's gritty monkey punch lupon meets literature and i love it i don't mind any different you know i don't mind the different forms of lupon there's some lupon i love and then there's some lupon i don't like this is very much on that whole lupon that i love just because of the literature literature reference and i'm gonna leave it at that yeah well i was gonna say that this episode did remind me quite a bit of actually classic lupon and third stuff because like i mentioned last week you know there were quite a few references to other uh, famous detectives that show throughout part two. And this one, I think, is taking it a little bit further. Mm-hmm. And the whole hard-boiled crime theme reminded me a lot of the manga. And the episode is really, really funny, especially once you're aware of the context for all of it. Mm-hmm. And also, before I found out about that context, I mentally thought of Lupin Jean's disguises as being named Jake and Elwood, but I realize now that Alan Max is probably more accurate. <laughs> Not that it's the first time that Lupin Jean had dressed as Jake and Elwood. Oh no! There's that uh, part two later disc cover, but that's beside the point. God, I would love to own but, yeah, some of those. I'll... Right. <laughs> of course, I really like the Ghostbusters one for obvious reasons, but of course. But anyway, yeah. Um, like, I personally really like the episode. I thought it was great. I thought it was a lot of fun, especially after I read the story. And uh, also, if you're wanting to gear up for next week, don't read the Amazon description. <laughs> don't do what I did. Oh, it was such a cool revelation, too. <laughs> Spoil before I even read the damn book. Oh. Again, in, close, in closing, I will, I will say this, though. Um, one of the wonderful things about Lupin, especially in the time span that he's been around, you know, 54 years from manga to anime and specials and movies and blah, 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 blah. Um, Lupin takes on so much derivative work that it would not surprise me that people, that people, whether it's fans or writers of the series and shows, um, just anybody who gets involved with Lupin don't become fascinated by some of the pop culture shout outs or even um, or just little references that get put into the series. You know what I mean? Like, again, when people ask me when people ask me, because I, I when I went to college, I double majored, which is very it's not very difficult. I mean, I'm not the only one who who has double majored ever but it is daunting and people always ask me well why double major in history why double major in theater for history i already had a clear plausible answer i love history because i've played a lot of carmen san diego games and i'm just fascinated by it i love theater because i love opera and the reason why i love opera is because of lupon the third and and it's only and it's because of the part two episode shot through the heart where Jigen falls in love with a flamenco dancer until I saw my first opera on stage. I realized, Oh shit. The writers basically stole the plot from the opera Carmen. This is so fascinating. I want to learn more. So if this episode did not influence you guys to pick up an Ernest Hemingway book, or if episodes one or two did not influence you to read Sherlock or watch more Sherlock beyond, you know, BBC Sherlock or Enola Holmes, 
maybe next episode it might encourage you to pick up an Endogawa Rampo novel. Who's to say? Don't remind me. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, Chris. <laughs> but no, I'm, uh, but uh, I, I, I really got to agree. I, I, I like that this, at least this first half of the series, is at least like you know. If not like encouraging, it's kind of pointing, uh, like pointing people like newcomers or fans, whatever Lupin fans. It's kind of pointing us in the direction of of you know the material that that inspired this whole thing in the first place, and I I really enjoy exactly. it. And like I, I, I'm I'm also considering picking up that or at least getting the uh, I don't know the Kindle version or, or something of that Edgawa Rampo book and not looking at the description at all. Uh. <laughs> Please don't. It's 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 gonna be so, it's gonna be so cool once you find out who Gold Mask actually is. Oh boy, I can't I can't wait to live, you know, through you. I was spoiled by it by our co um, by our co host uh, Guillaume, which is okay because I I kind of already knew what it was about. But when he told me like who was like the red herring and who was the gold ma- the golden mask and whom else was in it, I was like. No, and he's like, yes, and I was like, oh my goodness! Yeah. Again, this just encouraged me right. to want to pick it up, and I was like, if I wasn't doing research for my for my master's degree right now, I would so pick it up and read it. <laughs> Who the hell thought it'd be a good idea to just put that right there in the blurb on the back of the book? <laughs> to put yeah. what? Wait, what? Like you know, the item description on Amazon. It's the same as the blurb on the back of the on the back cover. Uh huh. So, who the hell came up with that idea? It's like, oh well, it's like, no, this is an interesting, uh, you know, Kogoro Akechi story, but it also features. Ah, damn it! <laughs> Thanks. I mean, I'm still probably going to read. It. I'm still probably going to love it. But <laughs> thanks, but I hate know, it. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I'm. Uh, I, I, so far, we're only four episodes in, I'm reserving big judgment until the series is finally over, but honestly, I, I, I am so happy with part six at the moment, and on, I, I am almost certain we're going to revisit Holmes and that whole plot at some point. I mean, there is a shot in the initial trailer of that creepy mask-looking dude, like, holding a revolver in a tunnel, so we're coming back to this mm-hmm. eventually. We, we've, we've got... Right. We've got uh, eight episodes left. Obviously, it's going to be a two-parter for these next one-offs. And I'm, honestly, I'm not even putting it past them to connect those one-offs in some way to it. I don't know. But there's still you know, a good, number, a good number of episodes left before we get to the second half of the series. And it's also not even confirmed that the second half is not going to be unrelated. So I'm, I'm, I'm just going to wait and see. Because honestly, I kind of like how we got... Two little episodes of the the Lupin Holmes Lily Watson thing, but at the end of episode two, Lupin and Sherlock faced off. They kind of pretty much they pretty much like were at a stalemate with each other, and Sherlock pretty much told him to skedaddle. And Lupin, obviously, after being quickly found out, was like, "Hey, let's split." And so now, you know, they're out and about do, doing their own thing. I, I honestly, I think the one-offs are kind of. I, I mean. Part four still might be the best, but I think these are the most justified you could be with these one-offs, narratively. Yeah, probably. I don't know. 
I'm 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 just enjoying the ride so far. No, I agreed. And again, um, I'm I do love how so far, four episodes in, the revolving theme is about literature. And as someone who reads a lot of literature and enjoyed a lot of literature, I love it. Give me some more of it. Please. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, hold on, you guys. I'm getting a phone call. I'm getting a phone call from... Oh my <laughs> goodness. I'm getting a phone call from a country whose flag is a big plus. <laughs> hold on. Hold on. Like, can, can we trust him to be neutral on this? <laughs> I was about to want to check that caller ID. Make sure it's Guillaume and not a chocolate salesman. <laughs> More like watch salesmen. <laughs> Hello again, Lupontic folks, and welcome back to Tea Time. So today we review episode four of the ongoing Lupin the Third Part Six series. And this episode has created a bit of an uproar in some sections of the internet, which is something I think needs to be addressed. I know my fellow co-hosts think the same and will also tackle the topic. Some pretty vocal fans online have expressed a level of disappointment that borders on outrage, making them want to drop out of the series. While I believe everyone's tastes are valid and different opinions should be respected, I will admit that I am very surprised by these intense reactions. I understand this episode might have created some expectations, since it is spent by Mamoru Oshii, and that it was a very verbose and exposition-heavy episode, but frankly, the franchise has done so much worse. Need I remind you of the return of the magician OVA? Of the truckload of mediocre TV specials from the 2000s? Or, I don't know, the 2014 live-action film? Killers in the Diner is nowhere near as bad and is certainly not the low point of the series. I guess that the unorthodox narrative structure of the series so far has created some frustration. And maybe the COVID lockdown made us even more hungry for some meaty Lupin the Third content on a regular basis. I understand that, and to some degree I empathize. But expectations should never cloud our good judgment. My personal policy is to allow the episode to tell me what it wants to tell and see if it strikes a chord or not. I actually enjoyed Killers in the Diner, from the multiple references, including a Golgo 13 stand-in, the Tarantino-esque tension through seemingly inconsequential dialogue, and the twists and turns in the final act. Yes, there is a lot of name-dropping, and the episode turns into a history lesson in its second half, but honestly, I was engaged. As a European citizen, knowing more about the CIA's dirty secrets is always a treat. I hope they didn't tap my mic, though. And it's nice to see Hemingway coming back into the franchise. The joke about Fujiko's cooking adds some levity and hints at a very domestic proximity between the gang members. I also liked how the first half 
has Lupin and Jigen disguised and voiced by different voice actors who manage to conceal and reveal their true nature at the same time. Lupin III has always worked on some level as a parody of different genres, and this episode fully embraces its meta qualities by parodying a short story while including that very same short story into the episode's narrative. However, I do think that my appreciation of the episode comes from the fact that I've watched Mamoru Oshii's most recent series, Vlad Love. It's a sort of fantasy slice-of-life comedy, a bit like Urusei Yatsura, which Oshii worked on when he started in the industry, but with a vampire and a blood freak. Vlad Love also includes a lot of pop culture references mixed with lessons on social rights, history and movies. There is an episode fully dedicated to replicate Francois Truffaut's day for night for God's sake. We must accept that today's Mamoru Oshi is not the same as Ghost in the Shell Oshi or even Jinro Oshi. I know he was meant to direct the third Lupin the Third animated film and it never got produced, but our capacity to fantasize about what could have been should not influence our perception of what we actually get. My last advice, and you are free to take it or not, is that you should be aware of the power you hold when you are part of a fandom and are active on social media. You should remember that words have weight and that your opinions, especially the more intense ones, will influence other people's opinions. I will admit that the backlash influenced my view of the episode and I had to actively fight that little voice at the back of my head telling me that this episode would suck when it actually did not. Be aware of your audience and your words. I hope that I am being aware, that I am being careful, and I am, of course, deeply sorry if I have offended you. That's all for me. I am genuinely thankful to you, dear listener, and I hope I did not make you too uncomfortable. Next week's episode will explore the world of Edogawa Ranpo, and I am convinced it will be a much easier episode to digest. Until we meet again, stay safe, Lupantic folks. And remember, always check the menu before you go to a killer's diner. <laughs> <laughs> So, Natalie, where can we find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter, of course, at C-A-P-L-I-H-E-L-L-S-I-N-G, Capley Helsing. You can also find me on Instagram at C-A-P-T-A-I-N-L-I-H-E-L-L-S-I-N-G, as always. So, yeah, Captain Lee Helsing. Um, and, yeah, that's about it. Be on the lookout for any future projects coming up, whether it's with the podcast or with myself. Because uh, I finally got my camera working. So let's do this. Chris, yeah. where can we find you? At your local pizza place. I think I made that joke before. Anyway. You constantly um, make that joke, but I love it. Okay. I can live with that. Um, I uh, I can be found on Twitter as well. At Dr. Furball. You know, D-R-F-U-R-B-A-L-L. 
M O U S E. Um, you can also <laughs> find me on on uh, Newgrounds, uh, Instagram, and probably a few other places at Amazing Chris Godby. That's a G O D B E Y. I also have a webcomic, uh, Weird in a Can, which is at weirdinacan.com. Yeah, that's me. And Drew, where can we find you? Let's see, you can find me on uh, Twitter at DrewHunter15. That's D R E W H U N T E R 15. And you can find our podcast on Twitter at LupinPod. That's L U P I N P O D. And you can also find us on Instagram with that same handle. And uh, also, you can listen to us on uh, the SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. And if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, if you feel like it, scroll on down. Give us a nice little uh, rating and review, preferably five stars, if you you know. But it's up to you, but also please. You know, Cinco. <laughs> <laughs> or, I mean, or even if you don't feel like doing it, do it. <laughs> we insist. Again, um... <laughs> You know, I find it nice that some YouTubers who have Patreons, they do give shout outs to their patrons at the end of their videos. Um, I, I just want to give out a shout out again to Zoitha9000. Thank you for listening. Uh, continue doing the good work that you do for um, giving us that good shit, you know. <laughs> and of course, um, shout outs to Aficionados Chris, um, who has told me personally that it is that we are one of the enjoyable <laughs> loop on the third podcast. And for that, I blush. <laughs> we are, we are tremendously flattered. Very. We've been humbled. We've been humbled. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, I guess, um, that, yep. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, we will see you again <laughs> next week. <laughs> Have a good night. Lupontic folks. See ya. Bye. <laughs> Next time on Sideburns and Cigarettes. We return to the literary world via Edogawa Rampo. I really wish I had more to say about this preview, but I can't because Amazon freaking spoiled it for me. Ugh, goddamn you, Jeff Bezos. You, man has a lot to answer for. Man, I can't wait to see all the really fancy costumes in this series. You got you got Fujiko and a choker with the pipe, and you got you got Jigen in uniform, and, and, and you got Fujiko in a choker with the pipe. And then you got Lupin in a gold mask and, and a cape, but, but you also got Fuchiko in a in, in, in a choker with with the pipe. Did I? We get it. We get it. You love Fuchiko. <laughs> <laughs>